Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. What Became of Dr. Smith by artist Noah Satterstrom is on view now through September 22, 2024. Learn more at msmuseumart.org. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. Welcome to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Think Radio. I'm Leslie Barker with the Mississippi Arts Commission. And today I'm so excited to be talking with comedian, actor, and writer Jay Jordan. Vulture named him one of the comedians you should and will know in 2020. You may have seen him on The Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon, Comedy Central Digital, or The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. His debut album, Jay Jordan, y'all, debuted at number one on iTunes, and he happens to be a Mississippi native. Welcome, Jay. Hello, how are you? I'm doing well. I am I am super excited for this interview, and for our listeners, I just have to say that this is a particularly special interview for me because Jay was a student of mine when I taught at Power APAC many <laughs> years ago, my, my first real job out of college. Um, so it's it's amazing to, to be able to have this conversation. So thank you for being here, Jay. Thank you for having me. Uh, I, I have to credit JPS, particularly <laughs> Power APAC. I think it's the Ida B. Wells School now. It is. You're right. Yeah. It is. I, they gave me so many cool opportunities I don't think I would have had throughout sixth all the way through 12th grade. So shout out to Power APAC. All right. We're going to talk about that a lot. I actually, you know, rarely do I start an interview with myself telling a story, but I'm gonna. So <laughs> so this is this is a story that I may or may not have told you, Jay. Um, so I, you know, I taught Jay for four years all through his high school years. And every year we would go to the Tennessee Williams Festival in Clarksdale, Mississippi. <laughs> and they're still going. They're one of our Mississippi Arts Commission grantees. They do amazing work. And so one year we went and uh, Jay may can tell you, you may remember some more about the actual performance because there's some fun stories with that. But he, he performed in a piece that ended up winning first place, but also they did an improv workshop with a guy who was a visiting actor from New York. So Jay, Jay was hilarious and, you know, just kind of really stood out in this workshop. And later at the reception, they had this barbecue uh, after it all, the guy comes up to me and says, who is that kid? And I was like, oh, that's, that's Jay's, you know, one of my students. And he's like, what is his story? No one is just that funny. <laughs> I said, I don't know if I ever told you that story. So I, <laughs> did I? You never told me that story, but I remember two of those festivals so vividly. I remember uh, Talk to Me Like the Rain. I remember that mm -hmm. scene between me and Annie. And then there was another, oh, it was a 27 Wagons Full of Cotton. It was. It was 27 Wagons Full of 27 Cotton. 27 Wagons Full of Cotton, where I was in a scene, and y'all <laughs> snuck this in. That scene, I looked back on it when I was in college. It is so rife with like sexual tension undertones like <laughs> looking back on it i was like wow how do we get away here's what's rough about that kind of like conundrum it's high school 
It's mm-hmm. Mississippi. You want people to be happy and kind of celebrate the legacy of like one of the pioneers of like the Gothic South and more importantly, like one of the most important American playwrights and artists in mm-hmm. the 20th century, Tennessee Williams. But then you have to also like neuter him and make him like this non-sexual being. So then mm-hmm. you have high schoolers wanting to be Maggie the Cat and the entire play, she's like, I want Brick to have sex with me. And it's just very. That, that, that is very true. That is, that, that is very true. And then when you grow up and you go to Ole Miss and you read it again, you're like, oh, Brick was gay at Ole Miss with Skipper. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we certainly didn't talk about a, a lot of that. Well, sure. y- y'all in high school, you did a good job of the talking right around it you <laughs> there was this idea that like Maggie's Maggie and Brick's marriage wasn't nearly as like the passion wasn't equal you could say stuff like that in high mm-hmm. school and you'd be like oh okay. all right <laughs> <laughs> well I, I remember that I will say that probably with that scene you probably went really far off script and probably, <laughs> probably improv a lot of it. And you, get, and, and you guys won first place. And I think that was probably the only time I ever gave you permission to just go off script. Cause I knew, I knew, I knew y'all are unprepared. So I was like, just, just do what you gotta do. And you guys won. <laughs> I remember, I remember that one. I remember another, I remember like another, Oh, maybe it was a Tennessee Women's Festival where, yes, it was a Tennessee Women's Festival where I was like, wow, we're like, like doing theater with a bunch of other kids who want to do, because th- like, it's such a weird thing to go off and do like theater when you're supposed mm-hmm. to be at school. It feels like a little treat. You're like, I'm getting away with something. I would love for our listeners to hear a little bit about your journey or a lot about your journey and how, how it started, how you got from being this kid at a, at a festival in Mississippi who this random actor was like, how is he that funny to, (laughs) to being this comedian that is, you know, all over the place right now. So tell us, tell us how it all started. Tell us about your upbringing. Uh, So I was born and raised in Canton, Mississippi, which is about, 19 miles north of Jackson, but my mom taught for Jackson Public Schools. And so I got a a waiver or a voucher to attend Jackson Public Schools starting in kindergarten because my mom was going to be there and she could take me to and from uh, school. And so in third grade, I tested for the Power APAC Academic and Performing Arts Complex, and I tested for their academics, which is kind of just like an advanced program for fourth and fifth graders and then I enjoyed it I was doing I was doing well and in fifth grade I was like I think I want to do theater my mom was like are you sure and I was like yeah I think I want to do theater and so I auditioned that summer for the sixth grade middle school theater program um, through Power APAC and I got in and that's when I was like oh okay cool so I would do theater every morning and then I would go to the middle school and that was kind of the routine and then in high school that's where we met and in high school it flips so you do all of your normal high school stuff and then the afternoon 
you start going to theater and it's like your last block of the day. And it's it's like an intensive because you're there mm-hmm. for like two hours. Yes, it is very intense, especially for the teacher with, with that many <laughs> high school kids. For with that hours. many high school kids that who are encouraged to be outgoing and gregarious because that behooves you in theater. Like it, it, mm-hmm. it does well. And so I remember really enjoying comedy. In middle school, I got cast in a few things like The Devil and Daniel Webster. I was Daniel Webster. I was cast in like one uh, kind of series of African folk tales. I remember being a character who grew a tree out of his head. Hmm. And it was one of the first times I played with like a character voice in middle school. And a lot of this comes from, like, I saw Eddie Murphy, and at the time, Eddie Murphy had a claymation cartoon called The PJs, which was about the projects, and he was, like, the super, he was the voice of, like, the super of the the building, and he had, like, this, his rough voice, and I remember, like, <laughs> doing a character voice in the audition, and I got the part, and so I was like, oh, so I'm just gonna, I'm gonna do that voice for, like, the show. And we had these like cool instruments that like kind of did a lot of the FX and sound effects work for it. But I remember being like, okay, cool. That's like a character choice. Hold on to like little things like that. And so you like kind of build up your little actor bag and stuff that you still use. And then when I got to high school, I was like, I really like comedy. Like I like it a lot. Like drama was always fun to me. And we Mm -hmm. did some really cool, fun, dramatic stuff. Like I think like that... um, that one act, Jerry Finnegan's sister that we did, uh-huh. that was like, that was, it was comedic in mm-hmm. spots. And then there were also like some heavier, weightier spots that were less comedic. But I just remember being like, I love comedy. And you, Leslie, you probably know this. I was, if if there was the a chance to be funny, I was going to take it. it I would rather true. get the uh-huh. note, make it less funny than be like, one funny enough. Because I'd be like, I failed. Which is what a high school director is always, looking for the people to just go big, you know, because it's hard. (laughs) Okay, I will say most high school teachers know it's hard to get high school students to just be ridiculous. But this particular group, Jay's Jay's class of of, like friends and his group, like they just went for it. And, And we did a lot of comedy because they were such a special, hilarious group of students. So I, I was like, okay, they're really funny. I, I think we need to run with this. You we know? did a like I want to say we did a variety show because of that. We did Love Hurts did. because mm-hmm. of that, and so that those moments informed me. I was like, oh, I really like performing. But then there was another side of me that was supposed to be like pragmatic, and you get mm-hmm. kind of a bunch of energy and advice your junior and senior year about how you need to like kind of buckle down mm-hmm. and I was like okay I'll focus on school and I was in AP classes I took like I took AP bio AP US history AP European history AP English I took the AP exam for all of those things I went to Ole Miss and I just kind of quit theater cold turkey my freshman year mm. I just did not perform at all I was pre-med track because I really liked biology and because I was pre-med I was like okay I like biology and then that was my full first year and then I took chemistry my sophomore year and I was like I do not 
like this chemistry at all. I didn't like chemistry in high school, but I hated it in college. Chemistry in high school was fun, at least because I was with my like homies. Chemistry in college, it was, oh my God. It was terrible. They, it was Guantanamo Bay for me. I was like, this is torture. I was like, I'm going to tell. And so I was, um, I think I like ended up with like a C, but to give myself a treat, I was like, ah, I'm going to take theater, introduction to theater for non-majors, just because I know I can get an A in this and I'll enjoy it. And I'll just get to like do what I've been doing, like, since sixth grade but i'll like just do the non-major version of that and i didn't expect to do any acting i just expected to like kind of do like the the required reading like the kind of non-performative aspects of theater and so i was taking that class and my instructor was valerie wilson Mm -hmm. and about I want to say a couple of weeks in, I'm doing very well. I'm doing well. I'm like, I'm like passing all the quizzes. And then one day, like a dummy, she says something about realism. I think we're coming up on like real, the realism section. So that means we're like halfway through the semester. And I go, oh yeah, like, a dollhouse ibsen and she was like what'd you say i was like um <laughs> like like a dollhouse like like nora and torvald she's like jay how do you how do you know this stuff and i was like ah, oh, you know she's like have you have you acted before i was like have you acted before val and she's like you should audition and so i was like okay i'll i'll she's like at least for like some of the student directed stuff and so i auditioned for a production of Alice in Wonderland that was student-directed kind of on, like, their fringe season. And I did that. And then I got in, like, an improv group that was in Oxford called Laugh Co. And that was, like, short-form improv. And I loved it. I love short-form improv because if you grew up watching Who's Line Is It Anyway, for the most part, you knew how the games worked. And I liked being able to say, oh, I know formulaically how we can play into some of these things and it's just like working with scene partners and it was a lot of fun and then i was like oh okay maybe i'll do a theater minor and then (laughs) that never works out so i was uh at this point i was like i'll be an english major theater minor and i was like i'll be english major and then maybe i'll get a double major and that double major ended up me being like me auditioning for like freshman studio my junior year. So I'm two years behind. And they were like, wait, Jay, you've been you've been doing theater since you were like 12. I was like, yeah. And so there was this there was this moment where I was like, I guess I'm going to do this. And it was fun because I had a different take than a lot of my peers a lot of my classmates Mm. at Ole Miss because I had two years of like other stuff Mm. to figure out and I wasn't taking a freshman class I wasn't taking a freshman acting class as a freshman so there was a bit of uh there was a bit more seasoning there for me Mm. and then I just kept doing it and I got cast in a bunch of stuff and I made it all the way through the BFA acting studio and it was fun. I got to try stand-up for the first time there. I got to study stand-up for the first time there. And then I went to grad school 
because I did not know where I, I like didn't know what else to do. And I paid like an additional $60 at SETC. I was like, I'll audition for grad schools just in case I don't get like a, a summer contract. And I got like four really, really good offers. And I like had talked to all those schools and I went to, to Alabama because they basically told me they're like, we want to have a black male grad student. We will pay you, but you'll also teach. Mm. And I had been a teaching assistant uh, in some capacity at Ole Miss. And I realized I also like teaching. So I was like, okay, maybe I, maybe I want to also be able to teach theater. And so then I went to Alabama for three years and uh, did even more stuff, more plays, <laughs> more work, more comedy, got to study stand up again mm. and got to really like, really like transcribe some good stand-up and what happens is the the thing that kind of led me directly to stand-up was I did a one-man show for one of my final projects I was supposed to extend into like an hour-long one-man show but I was just supposed to present like 10 to 15 minutes of it and my instructor Allison Allison Hetzel she's like that was very good Jay it was supposed to be like in the vein of like Anna Devere Smith and like mm. Whoopi Goldberg. I was supposed to talk about my past. Like I like was my grandmother at one point. I was my dad at one point. I was my mom at one point. But it was also just through my lens. And so it's very autobiographical. But because my inclination is to go so deep in the comedy, it just became a very funny stand-up <laughs> set. And she was that was the primary note. And I was like, oh. Well, too bad I'm graduating and can't fix it. (laughs) (laughs) This is Leslie Barker. Thanks for listening to the podcast version of the Mississippi Arts Hour. The show airs on MPB Think Radio every Sunday afternoon at 5. To access all of our past shows, subscribe to the Mississippi Arts Hour podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Allison Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You're listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Think Radio. I'm Leslie Barker, and today I'm talking with comedian Jay Jurgen. So before the break, we were talking a little bit about Jay's journey and how theater was was the beginning of it all. I think that theater, as an art form, because it is such a cool umbrella, it helps so many kids and adults eventually find out what they're good at. It's so many other artistic mediums, they're made for you to come in and almost be a savant, almost be like a virtuoso or like a prodigy from a instrumentation standpoint, from a like dance pedagogy standpoint, even from Mm -hmm. like the ability to like if you're an incredible photorealistic artist as a kid, people go, wow, this is it. 
mm-hmm. with with theater especially like a performance track medium you kind of get to say oh okay like this part of my personality really likes to do this and i don't think that theater is therapy but i think it can be therapeutic and i think Mm -hmm. then maybe you get to say oh i really like this oh i really like oh i really my organizational skills and i like being part of a collaborative effort what part of the technical aspects of things am i leaning towards and even from a performance standpoint what characters do you really seem to enjoy embodying so i think theater does a very good job of kind of like being the sorting hat of <laughs> of kind of like artistic mediums and that's what it did with me it let me kind of know how much i loved comedy it it told me every time that like i saw something funny or that i go oh there's potential for that to be funny you know i i mentioned this earlier but uh if you if you're just joining us i was jay's high school theater teacher one of jay's high school theater teachers this was an extraordinary group of young people he can tell you all about his friends they're all still friends which is awesome the class read a play that jay wrote called shut up and after it was over there was this silence in a room in the room which never happened in this room full of like very big high school personalities <laughs> there was a silence and they all started clapping and i i think i remember somebody even Kristen vance even standing up and clapping but it was a moment that everybody in the room knew we just witnessed something really special and <laughs> yeah <laughs> I liked creating and I was, I mean, I really liked assignments like that. I think that's why Love Love Hurts also was so fun because it was like, oh, okay, we get to like create this. And it was right around the time that SNL started airing on VH1 in the daytime. So you didn't have to wait to watch it on Saturday at like 11. Uh, you could watch it like any basically any weekend so i grew up seemed i was like okay this is this is adult sketch so if we can like (laughs) take away some of the naughty stuff can we find some of like the same comedic like through lines so it was like a lot of fun i think also what else like so it would have been like Chappelle show would have just come out but then also like other things like I want to say all that was either had just stopped or was gonna come back and I remember being like okay so like this is funny and this is funny let's see if these two things together can work so I remember always being aware that like writing was something that I wanted to try to do so tell us a little bit about the love hurts and what that was because we've referenced it a little bit oh we did uh we did a variety show was that my junior year or i think it was yeah yeah we did a variety show my junior year under under leslie and the reason we were allowed to do it was because you said that if we like put all this stuff together we could put on like this like valentine's day themed mm-hmm. like variety show with like comedic sketches and like musical numbers and like parody songs and so the entire class which that was the amazing part was that was a time when everyone was like i'm very excited to do this mm-hmm. 
because primarily we've been doing like plays that were established works, kind of like part of the theatrical high school canon, things that you expected high schoolers to do. Still doing them very well, but this was like one of the first times it was like a completely kind of new student created and student student led and semi student directed work. So mm-hmm. that happened our junior year. And they had like got like a fun write up in the Jackson Free Press. It was That's fun. That's right. Yep. It was comedy and because it was fun and like it, it was high school. So there were even moments where we, we were like, what is the line? And how can we brush up <laughs> right against it? Like having our friend dress up as Cupid, like that, that like that having our friend like be in a diaper, like <laughs> we just. We had such silly stuff. We like even we parodied the Dirty Dancing lift. Mm-hmm. So like there were moments that I look back on and think, okay, like we were like for kids, we were pretty with it. We knew some comedic jokes to make. Oh, you guys were hilarious. And and so now writing is is a big part of what you do. I mean, you've written for the New Yorker, you've written for McSweeney's, for Vulture, for Teen Vogue. Like, tell us a little bit about that part of your artistic brain it was the first thing that let me be a bit more free as an artist in new york because i wasn't getting as many acting jobs as i wanted in 2016 i moved to new york in 2015 and i was signed with a theatrical agency and just the relationship wasn't it just wasn't fruitful on both ends for neither party so I was being kind of silly on Facebook or Twitter and my friend, Wynn Powers, who is in Chicago, who I met at the University of Alabama, he was like, Jay, don't give away all of your like comedic stuff on Twitter and Facebook for free. If it's like Mm -hmm. longer than a tweet or like a post, if it's like a lengthy post, like you could like submit it to like a like a humor page, and I was like, like what? And so he told me about McSweeney's internet tendency, uh, and I submitted my first one to them. I think it was like nine things black people like more than Donald Trump, and it was a list of things nine. It was a list of nine things that black people hate, and so that was like my first published uh, humor piece. And so then I was like, oh, I really like this. I was like, I really, really like this. I like this. It's kind of the same feeling I had with Love Hurts. And Mm because I wrote a lot of parodies in college, too. Like, I wrote a lot of song parodies. And I remember thinking, if I can have, like, fun homework, I'll do it. (laughs) And that's what it started to feel like. So I wrote that, and then that led to another article, and that led to an article about I remember I think one of the articles was also about like Adam Rapon that was mm-hmm. in Teen Vogue and that was like an article that I got because of the New Yorker pieces because the New Yorker that was uh like the, my tiny shouts piece and I got that that was because of um my Colin Kaepernick article and then another mm-hmm. article about gun violence after the Las Vegas shooting in regards to people's stance on it and kind of like the sh- the arguments they make about it in regards to Chicago, um, like this very, very thinly veiled dog whistle when people talk about gun violence and they say, but what about Chicago? So I had like a response to that 
But those things really helped me kind of like say, oh, this is my topical comedic voice. Mm-hmm. And then there, on the other side, there was a very much, what's my evergreen autobiographical comedic voice? Mm-hmm. And having those two, uh, those two different muscles work was very helpful for me. It helped me a lot. So, you know, if you're talking about things that you've written about Colin Kaepernick and things that you've written about gun violence, and yet you use comedy. And so, and it's, it's, you know, like the best comedy has so much to say, you know? So tell us a little bit about how you use your comedic voice to say things that need to be heard. Oh, as a, as a black man in 2021, who's from Mississippi, who's also queer, there are so many very specific experiences that I've had or that resonate with me that might not be viewed as quote unquote mainstream, but I think hearing from marginalized voices or people mm. who have new POVs is kind of what comedy is about right now, like storytelling that it decenters. Uh, what we've been hearing for so long. And that's what I try to do with anything comedically. Like I'm from, I'm from, I'm from Canton, but like I'm from Mississippi and that will never not be something that people bring up in regards to my comedy. So I think Mm -hmm. that that's another reason why I say, oh, if, if I want to talk about this, let me see if I can make this subject but let me see if I can play with like the heavy and the light of this thing. How that's, I'm, you know, that's really interesting to hear about how you have to balance that. Like, how do you balance that? Like the heavy and the light. I think you have to make it so uproariously funny that people Mm -hmm. almost forget. And then you have to, and then you catch them. I have like a new, I have a new joke that isn't on my album that I wrote, I probably wrote this joke in 2018 and I, it just didn't make it on my album. But it's one of my favorite jokes where I say, people have such an instant reaction when you tell them you're from Mississippi. They'll say, oh, you're from Mississippi. Oh, Jay, you must be happy to be in New York. The racism down there must be so pronounced. And I just tell them, y'all pronounce it just fine up here. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what reaction do you get from that? People like the joke, but then they realize, oh, oh, okay, I'm guilty of this. I think that making fun of Mississippi is easy if you're not from there, but Mm. the true skill to me is kind of uplifting Mississippi and realizing, what's that, is is that a Faulkner quote? Like to understand America? Or is that a Mm -hmm. Twain quote? It's a uh, Faulkner quote. I think it's Faulkner. Yeah, you first have to. Yeah, understand. you. Yeah, you first have to understand a place like Mississippi, and that's. I mean, that's a very good kind of core belief to hold when you're a comedian from Mississippi. This is Leslie Barker. Thanks for listening to the podcast version of the Mississippi Arts Hour. The show airs on MPB Think Radio every Sunday afternoon at five. To access all of our past shows, subscribe to the Mississippi Arts Hour podcast using your favorite podcasting app.
I'm Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back to the Mississippi Arts Hour. I'm Leslie Barker, and today I'm talking with comedian Jay Jordan. Jay, tell us about how Mississippi shows up in your art. It's all over my art. I have a track on the album called Mississippi, and I usually talk about Mississippi in my sets because it's... No, no more. It's such a fun word to say. I don't think enough can be said about sometimes just phonetically things are funny, sonically. And that's the first thing. It's a word that makes people like pause. You go, what is what? Okay. Um, The second thing is it has like such connotative power. Mm -hmm. People, people don't have ambivalence towards the word Mississippi. They either know it or they don't know it and go, oh, but I know what I'm supposed to think about that place. Mm -hmm. And that's always like a very interesting and sometimes comedic thing because I'm fully aware of like the racial history of Mississippi, like not just the racial history, but like the racial present of Mm -hmm. Mississippi. But then there's also so much fun to be had when you're from there. In my Comedy Central set, I even say, I can, I'm going to make fun of her, but let me do it. I promise I'm better at it than y'all. So let just let me make fun <laughs> of her because she's family to me. So I'm going to make fun of her for a little bit. And then I'm going to stop y'all from making fun of her. Has that you know, the use of that and like your balance with that and like the willingness to kind of go there and tackle it in your own life with your own work. Has that led to any really interesting conversations with people? Oh yeah. People, (laughs) sometimes when people don't believe you, you're like, well, I don't have any reason to lie about it. There's no, there's no reason for you to think, oh, I'm making up that I'm from Mississippi. And so people after shows will be like, oh, wow, that's insane. But I think that on the, like on the, for the most part, everyone has been very complimentary Mm -hmm. after they like hear the way I talk about Mississippi. And it's like, what are you going to do? Are you going to not acknowledge where you're from? I wouldn't be as funny if I wasn't from Mississippi. I, that's I would stake my entire career trajectory on that. If And I don't even huh. think I'd be doing comedy if I wasn't from Mississippi. Really? No. It's such, because to do comedy, you have to have some sort of tension. And Mississippi Mm -hmm. creates the most tension possible for a black person, for like a young progressive person, for a queer person, because 
it's not necessarily your family that like is saying this is like this is how things have to be but it is like your home state so you mm-hmm. have like this fun foil like from the beginning and even if it's just like silly things like there i have all these like throwaway jokes where people like oh like uh w- how did you like learn about racism in mississippi and it's like uh i i looked outside i had windows what do you mean <laughs> like <laughs> But also, like, it's not that Mississippi is racist. It's that, like, people in the U.S. will say, oh, Mississippi has more anti-black racism. And then I'll have to correct them. I'll be like, you mean the state that's 33% black? Mm -hmm. The state with the highest population percentage-wise of black people? Those, wait a second. My grandmama isn't racist. (laughs) They'll be like, no, we mean, like, the other people. I'll be like, who? So it's like a fun it's a to me. It's a fun way to let people know that they're not as great as they are. You could take any New Yorker down a peg if you like are from Mississippi. How on the other side of that? How do people from Mississippi? I mean, I know I know how I respond to your work, but what kind of conversations have you had with Mississippi? They say they usually are happy that someone mm-hmm. is telling it from their POV. Mm-hmm. Because everything that they get uh, via media sometimes isn't amazing. Uh, and sometimes it's not only that it isn't amazing, it's just that like people aren't even talking about it. Or people don't even celebrate it. Like I would, I'm never going to be able to be one of those people who's like, from Mississippi, but not from Mississippi. Like as mm-hmm. Mississippians, we do such a good job being like, well, you know Brandy lived here before she moved to California. Oh, you know Oprah. Oh, you know Snoop Dogg's <laughs> grandma. We'll be like, oh, you know Jamie Lynn Spears, technically. I mean, we have like a lot of, um, we have like a lot of celebrities that have Mississippi ties, uh, mm-hmm. including including Lance Bass. But it's like one of those things I went to where, high school with Lance Bass. See, I, have, yeah. I should put on an instinct shirt just for this. It's, um, it's something that I'm always going to be proud of. I like, I see no reason not to talk about it. It, it, it also is the best, uh, the pun terribly, woefully unintended. It's the best Trump card because there will be people <laughs> on these shows, Leslie, in New York. They'll be like, oh, I'm from the most backwards part of Pennsylvania. I'll be like, shut up. <laughs> shut up. Wh- what? Are you challenging me? This is a good moment to say, if you haven't listened to Jay's comedy, check it out. Jay Jordan, y'all, his album. Or, you know, Jay, where else can people check out your work? Uh, you can listen to it on all streaming platforms. Uh, you can also see clips from Comedy Central and Tonight Show on YouTube. Uh, you can follow my Twitter if you want to hear about everything from comic books all the way to Mississippi politics. We should Make sure that the Jacksonians have uh, water. I'm very upset that that's still going on right now, if I can say anything. Hopefully, by the time this airs, the water pressure is back up in the capital city. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, you can can just follow me. I'm the only Jay Jordan online, except for the man who stole the email address I wanted. That's... Mm. (laughs) That's just dirty. And he still has it. I might, he's holding it <laughs> ransom. I love hearing about how 
you're so willing to just, like I said, to just go there with your personal life and with your story. And like, what does that look like in, as far as process goes? Like, how do you, how do you start it? Like, I usually, yeah. I usually say, oh, this is funny to me. And then I kind of retrofit it because mm-hmm. my comedy, when I do stand up, is very, uh, is pretty set up punch. Like it's, it's formulaic in the sense that, like, I like to go premise, set up punchline, premise, set up punchline. I don't meander too much. Mm-hmm. Because of my theatrical background, a lot of times I do treat my jokes like a script. I want them to be mm. word perfect. Even from a even from a tone standpoint, if I'm playing with the with like the musicality of a phrase and I want to make it repeatable. And that's part of my actor training making me a better comedian. Because sometimes you'll deliver a joke just slightly different. There'll be a tiny it, I mean, it's the it's the difference between going up in pitch and going down in pitch and mm. y- yielding completely different results. So that's what I like to do. I like to say, oh, is this funny? Okay, this is funny. How can I structure it? Uh, mm. Case in point, like uh, last summer I was getting off on my bike and I had my headphones in. I had like my headphones in and this older woman saw me get off my bike and my shorts had kind of ridden up because I was on my bike and I had my headphones in. So she didn't think that I heard her, but she said, Ooh, look at those strong legs. And I was like, <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> she didn't know that I had my headphones in. And so the way that I like ended up making it like re- retrofitting it into one of my jokes, I talked about how I finally had like my New Yorker hat trick almost. Like I, um, I, a rat ran across my foot. Uh, I publicly urinated, not at the same time. The rat wasn't that big. And I was catcalled by an older woman. But a catcall from an old black woman isn't a catcall as much as it's just a verbal blessing. So it, that's like what, that's like what I turned that experience into. But she was so bold. I was like, what? I was like, I must be out here looking like a strumpet. What am I doing? <laughs> strumpet. You know, listening to you talk about the way that you take in like the world and information and, you know, just something that I know from knowing you is that you like to know about a lot of things. Like, you know, about pop culture, you know, about, you know, politics. So let's talk a little bit about why it's important as a comedian, as an artist, to have that inquisitive nature. Oh, yeah. My comedy is, I'd want to say, 60% autobiographical and then 40% observational. And that 40% observational, that always has to to be an active search. You have to be actively Mm -hmm. inquisitive to be a good comedian. You have to say, why is this like this? Because you can talk, you can talk about your experiences, but then there's going to come a moment where you want to talk about something current and why it affected you a certain way. And you have to say, why did this make me feel this way? And I don't think that comedians are modern day philosophers, but you do kind of have to be a philosopher of at least that moment. You have to go, okay, why was this like this? Mm. Or maybe you just have to be a scientist and you have to investigate it. 
And so the more stuff you look into, then you have more and more stuff to investigate. And that's that's kind of what also stops some people from, I think, enjoying comedy. Mm -hmm. The more they do it is because they get so set. Like if you have a worldview that is set in even 2000 now, that was 21 years ago. And that's judgment-free zone, but you have to update it. And the only way you update it is by being an active participant in the search for more knowledge. It also gives Mm -hmm. you like more fun stuff to play with as a, as a comic. If, if someone says, Oh, have you ever read this book? And you go, no, I've never read this book. And they go, you should read this book. What's it about? Go read the book. You read the book. You go, Oh, that book was terrible. Why'd you make, why does anyone read that? (laughs) (laughs) it's all material then you get all of this stuff you know and man I can't believe it we're almost out of time but I just want to just for fun throughout this last question of what's your favorite part about comedy what's the best part oh I love there it's to me it's the same feeling as jumping out of a plane or like jumping off of a diving board before you hit the water so with a good, a very, very good comedian, there is a tiny amount of space between mm. uh, the last word they say and then the punchline and then like the the laugh from the audience. So that little <laughs> space, that gap is like, I mean, you don't want to get too cheesy and make everything about 80s movies, but that's like the danger zone. There's like a space between whether or not you know something's going to be funny. And it's bigger whenever it's something new or it just feels bigger. So whenever like a new joke lands, uh, it just feels so good that you said, this is funny to me. I want to make it work. I want to make it funny for other people. Let's test it out. So I'm lucky enough that like now on like shows I can do a lot of good, a lot of good tried and true stuff, but then also some new stuff, so I can build up my mm-hmm. new stuff. Like that's what I did all last year was build up new stuff that wasn't on the album. Uh, and so, like, whenever you try something new and it works, it feels like you just jumped out of a plane. And you, you said you like you say I have a parachute. This parachute works. I know this parachute works. And then you jump out and you're like, man, I hope this parachute works. <laughs> this is Leslie Barker. Thanks for listening to the podcast version of the Mississippi Arts Hour. The show airs on MPB Think Radio every Sunday afternoon at 5. To access all of our past shows, subscribe to the Mississippi Arts Hour podcast using your favorite podcasting app. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app.